You are listening to episode number 64 of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. Y'all, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. This is a hard time of year. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Quarter three to me is a doozy every single year. There's just this energy change post winter break where I feel like spring break and summer break still feel so far away, but like students and teachers were just drained. Winter break was not long enough to kind of give us a boost in energy. And now with all of like the holiday celebrations over and the twinkle lights put down, like we're all just coming back and we can often just be so over it. I've heard from many of you in my DMs and emails that this apathetic energy has hung over your classrooms all year long, not just coming about right now in quarter three. And But I would like to venture to guess that it might be at its peak right now. So what are we supposed to do? How do we deal with these apathetic students? And how are you supposed to motivate them if you are personally struggling with your own apathy? We're going to cover all of this and more in this episode. So let's get started. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I am passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom? and actually have a life outside of it, you are in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. All of the tips that I'm going to share with you today are about helping to re-engage your students that have gotten to a really apathetic place this time of year. And maybe they've been like this all year, but especially this time of year. But my hope is that as we talk about re-engaging your students and making them less apathetic, that that will also in turn re-inspire you and help you to feel less apathetic towards your job. So I'm going to be sharing five strategies with you and they're going to be really practical. And I'm going to link and refer to a bunch of things that I'm going to link in the show notes that I think will be helpful for you. So just know, as always, Show notes are it's not rocket science classroom.com slash episode 64, but I'm going to reference so many different things today. So you can get all the links there if you're like, where do I find all the stuff she's talking about? Okay. So the first thing I want to challenge you to do in terms of dealing with student apathy and your own apathy is get your students engaged back into your content. I mean, obviously you're like, yeah, I know that's the problem. How do I make that happen? I want to encourage you to bring in all of the real world examples that you can possibly think of to make the content you're teaching right now interesting. And honestly, I purposely plan my scope and sequence to teach some of my favorite content this time of year because I feel like this time of year is always the hardest for me. So I try to put in a lot of things like heredity in biology and, you know, like the cardiovascular system and anatomy, things that I'm going to be excited to teach about. So hopefully it'll be really easy to bring in those real world examples. And y'all, even if it's not that relevant to what you're teaching, like it's not going to be on the EOC, but you can think of something that's real world that would be engaging to them, like bring it in. Now is the time to get them interested. 
I love when I teach heredity to show the movie Gattaca. It is an oldie, but it's a goodie. And I love it because it's it's a movie that's supposed to be like a futuristic movie. But so many of the things in the movie that they predicted, like electric cars, like phones that are also on your watch, those are all things that exist now, which I think is hysterical. But it's a great movie to engage them in genetics because it's all about basically genetic engineering and taking it to the place where we specifically choose the genes in our children based on how we want them to be. It's a fascinating movie, but like, again, is Gattaca going to be on the biology EOC for the state exam? No, but I think it's worth taking three days of your class time to show something like that, to get them excited and engaged again. Start bringing in more NGSS phenomena. Even if you don't use NGSS at your school, phenomena are a great way to get your students asking questions and engaged in the content. And I'm going to link two blog posts in the show notes. One's about some ideas for making science relevant and engaging for your students. And then another is a bunch of ideas about using phenomena with your students, whether you teach at an NGSS school or not. But we've got to get them engaged in real world examples. What are things they're interested in? If you have no idea what would possibly interest them, Ask them some questions. Do an exit slip one day where you ask them like, what questions do you have about what we're learning? Or what questions do you have about science in general. It could be about anything. It could be off topic. And then use those. Hopefully there will be some that are relevant that you can bring into your class. But even if there are some that aren't relevant, maybe you just need to take a break in the content you're teaching to do some things that'll engage your students to get them interested in science again. So make it a priority to engage them in your content, whatever it takes. And I don't want to just encourage you to engage them in your content. I think the second thing I want to encourage you to do is to engage them personally on a one-on-one level. One thing one of my high school teachers always did was he had news of interest. And at the start of class, he'd be like, does anyone have any news of interest? And you could literally share anything that happened or that was interesting whatsoever. Literally, there was no rules. Anything goes. And we always did this at the start of the class. You know, you could do it after your bell ringer before you go over to the bell ringer, like implement your prime time, collect it. Before you go over it, say, is there any news of interest? And get the students talking for a minute. I think it's worth a few minutes of class time to engage with them personally in that way. And I found my students really, I really enjoyed that as a student in his class. I loved that part of the class. But I've also found just anytime I show my students that I care and I'm interested in their life outside of my classroom, it builds that connection with me. And then they're more engaged with me and thus with my class. I also want to encourage you just to connect with them one-on-one, like see what sports and activities they're involved in. If they're not involved in any of that, but they, you know, they work at, you know, Fazoli's down the street, then go to Fazoli's and see them at their job and just get to know them and connect with them. Really for your students to see you care makes such a big difference in how they're going to relate to you in the classroom. So if you care for them outside, they're going to care more about you and what you're doing inside. I really, really believe that. And then another suggestion would be partner with a school counselor at your school. You may have several at your school. If you want to go back and listen to episode 53, I interviewed my very best friend and school counselor. We used to work together actually. And she had so many great suggestions for how school counselors and teachers can partner and how oftentimes like teachers don't want to partner with school counselors, but there's a lot that school counselors can do for us. And I think I she was like, send kids that are apathetic to us. Let us kind of press in and see what's going on, especially if it's a kid that you're having a hard time connecting with. See if the counselor can connect with them. I think especially if their apathy is affecting their grade and their ability to potentially pass your class, like if they're so apathetic that they're just like 
a blob in your class and they're not doing anything and you're legit concerned about them passing your class, send them to the counselor. Let the counselor kind of come down on them and be like, yo, look at these numbers. You're not going to make it unless you get a little bit more interested in chemistry, okay? So I think partnering with your school counselor is a big deal. And then also just partnering with your coworkers. See what other classes your students are in. You know, if you teach biology, that's like a ninth grade course, go talk to the ninth grade English teacher or the algebra one teacher, the geometry teacher, and say, hey, like, what are you doing with your students? Are your students this apathetic? Like, how can we engage them? Or what are you doing with this specific student so I can kind of bring them back in? So I think engage them in your content, but also just engage them personally. And then a third challenge I want to say is change of scenery. Get your students outside if you can. I know where I live in South Carolina, we start getting some warm days in February. We don't have consistent warm weather until March, but in February, you'll get those random days that are in the low 60s and the sun's out. Take your students outside. Y'all, investing in a class set of clipboards is so worthwhile. I cannot tell you. I, I use them multiple times a week when I was still in the classroom full-time. I love having a class set of clipboards. It just lets you get outside. But even if the weather where you live is not conducive to that, you know, my sister-in-law is a high school English teacher in Colorado, and they sometimes have snow through April. So she is not able to get her students outside until May, like the end of the year. But even so, just any sort of change in scenery, like do you have a media center or a library or, you know, computer lab that you could just go to for a class to change it up? Can you do anything in the gym? I have a couple ecology labs that I love to take my students to the gym for. And so I make sure obviously there isn't going to be a, a gym class in there, but I love to go in there to the auxiliary gym even and just see if we can have class there. If you do stations a lot with your students, which we'll talk about in a minute, I love stations, but if you have like 30 plus students, stations can be hard. Like I love stations and getting students out of their seats, but that's a lot when you have 30 moving bodies in a really small classroom. See if you can post the stations in the hallways around the school, and then students can kind of wander the halls and answer the stations. I know like that may not be something your admin loves, but even if you could just take one hallway that you have and do that to get get them out there and don't let them talk so they're not super disruptive to other classes, but I swear a change of scenery makes all the difference. It makes all the difference for me. Like I sometimes need it. I'm, I get sick in my own room. I even see this with my own little kids right now and my house. I have three kids, four and under. Four to 6 p.m. is a dark time for us, okay? It's hard. It gets real dicey. And when things get crazy and we're all going stir crazy, I'm like, we got to get out of this house. And so we bundle up if it's cold. I tell the big kids to grab, you know, a scooter or a bike and I throw the baby in the stroller and we just start walking and we get out and about. And that just often is such a good boost for all of our moods. So I really encourage a change in scenery. Another thing I want to challenge you with, the fourth thing is giving students more autonomy. It's so hard to run a teacher-centered classroom with a bunch of students that don't give a rip about what's going on. Like, when if your classroom is really centered around you, it's going to take so much of your effort to get your students engaged. And if you're not even into what's going on and this is all about you, like it's going to be so hard. And there may be ways that you have become a really teacher-centric classroom without even meaning to. Like you didn't go into it trying to make this really centered around you, but that's just kind of how it's turned out to be. Let's reevaluate that now 
and make teaching more student-centered because when they're having to do the majority of it and it's really centered around them and you're just a facilitator, it kind of forces them to be a little bit less apathetic because they have to actually do more stuff. They can't just sit there and listen to you lecture. Okay, so I have an entire series of episodes about student-centered pedagogy on the podcast. I did this last summer, so you can check out episodes 29 through 32 if you want to go back and do like a deep dive into student-centered pedagogy. So that's there for you. But a couple of quick things that you can literally do right now that require barely any prep to make your classroom this week more student-centered is any sort of model building. I love chalk markers for lab tables. I love Play-Doh. Get some of that and let your students build models literally about anything you're learning about. You can have them do a model about it. I love concept maps. Concept maps are a great model that don't require any tools. I love having mini whiteboards and dry erase board markers in my class, giving them to students, giving them a list of vocabulary words and saying, okay, make a concept map out of this. And then they have to have an answer key and a blank one so that they can switch with a neighbor and then do each other's. It's a great way to get the center, the learning centered around them. I also love Pogles. Pogles are something you can check them out at Flynn Sci. I think it's FlynnSci.com. I'll link it in the show notes, the exact website, but I think they're the current like owners of Pogle. But Pogles are basically guided inquiry learning activities, and I love using them to replace lecture. I first discovered Pogles when I was teaching AP Bio and I use like almost every single one from the AP Bio Pogel book with my students. And I love them so, so much. I even created two of my own versions of Pogels in the anatomy curriculum because I just enjoyed that learning style so much. And I just think it's a great way to give your students a Pogel and let them take ownership of it. And you're not talking for like an entire class period. My students always got really, really into them and they learned so much. And Pogels are only effective if you do them in class. So it's gotta be an in-class thing. So make sure you do that. I also love doing something called four corners or two sides. So basically I'll put like four statements in four corners of my room or I'll put have two statements and put them on either side of my room and I get students up and moving to the corner that they most agree with or the side they most agree with. I just think anything you can do to get them out of their seats is so helpful. I have a lot more that walks through these four different types of student-centered learning activities that are no prep. I have a whole blog on him, so I will link that in the show notes. But again, I think the priority is getting you talking less, them thinking more, and also if you can get them moving too, that is such a bonus. And that's why I just love stations of any kind. You can do stations for so many different things. You can do them to replace lecture. You can do them to take all the demos that you normally do and have them, students do them themselves as like an inquiry-based intro activity. You can do stations for review. You can do stations to bring in those real world topics. I have a lot of different stations. I have like the cancer ones that I use in biology where I just use QR codes or you could just do links if you're doing it digitally and I'll link a a video or an article from the, the internet and students scan it or click on it. They watch it or read and then they answer some questions and it gets them out of their seats and it gets their blood flowing. I think it's just so much easier to get them engaged when they're physically moving and I have so many thoughts about stations that I will link three blog posts in the show notes about stations. And one of these blog posts too is really helpful because it is all about making review stations. So especially those of you that are approaching AP exams or you're approaching EOC exams at the end of the year, I think that blog post about making review stations will help jazz up your review, especially if your students are so over reviewing. I highly recommend doing stations for review. And honestly, one of the best ways 
you can make your classroom more student-centered and less teacher-centered and give just students so much more autonomy is utilizing projects. And this is such a great time of year to introduce project-based learning if you've never done it before. I love ending the year with PBL. I have an entire blog post about project-based learning that I'm going to link in the show notes. And I also have PBL packs I've made for biology, physical science, and anatomy. So if you teach any of those subject areas, I will link those in the show notes. You can grab those and print them and literally use them tomorrow. But basically the synopsis, which again, you should read the whole blog post if you're interested. But the idea is that you're just giving students the opportunity to design a research project and they can work in groups if you want them to. And it's something that they're getting to choose what they research. And then they're gonna walk through it the rest of the school year. And I provide all the support materials you need for that. But my favorite thing I do is the questions. Coming up with a really good research question can be really challenging for students, or you can also refer to it as a driving question. So within each of these packs, I provide 15 to 20 examples of driving questions that you could give students that they could work off of if they can't come up with their own questions. So this is such a great way to bring in a lot of these different things to make the the learning centered around students, but then to also engage them in real world connections to what you're talking about. I love, love, love projects. Also, if you teach biology and you have not done ecosystem in a bottle this year, drop everything right now. This is the number one way you can engage apathetic students in your biology classroom is do ecosystem in a bottle. Whether you've taught ecology or you're about to teach it, it doesn't matter because even though this is an ecology-based project, you could do it as an inquiry-based investigation. If you've already taught ecology at the beginning of the year, this would be a great way to review it before the end of the year. It's a long-term project. It's so real world because it uses living things that it's not even funny. It is by far, I'm telling y'all, y'all know if you've been around my corner of the internet a while. I was in a non-science classroom for years with no running water, no lab tables, no supplies, no science budget. So I was buying everything out of pocket. If I had to only do one lab all year long, I would do ecosystem in a bottle. It is so impactful for students. They learn so much. It's such an engaging learning activity. Literally, if your students are apathetic, do ecosystem in a bottle. It is worth every penny. It's worth rearranging your entire classroom to make room for it. It is so worth it and it stretches over 30 days. So yes, you're gonna have to teach other stuff while it's going on in the background, but you'll basically have a week of prep and then about a month of data observations and then a couple days of wrapping it up. It's a game changer. I'll link it in the show notes as well. I'm so passionate about projects. Like anytime, that's probably my number one thing that I personally do when I'm feeling apathetic and it's almost like I need a break from like just engaging with the students all day long is I do a project. Do I have to grade them later? Yes. But just having that in-class break of me just not teaching so much is so helpful. And I just use rubrics to grade, which makes it so much faster to provide feedback. And if you can build in class time for project presentations, that makes your grading so fast because you can grade it while they're presenting. I know you don't always have time for that, which I totally get, but that's a great way to like make sure that you have enough time to grade projects is build in time for them to present them. Okay, so we talked about engaging them in your content with real world examples, engaging them personally, getting a change of scenery and giving them as much autonomy as you possibly can. And the last thing I want to encourage you to do is just get inspired by what other teachers are doing and then do what sounds fun to you. 
There are so many amazing teachers on Instagram and in these teacher Facebook groups and on TPT that are doing some awesome demos and labs and projects and aren't feeling apathetic right now and have created some amazing resources and look at what's out there and see if any of it sounds fun to you and then do that. Don't think you have to do it all and don't feel guilty that you're not doing what they're doing. You're just in a season of apathy and I guarantee that every single teacher on Instagram and in those Facebook groups and on TBT has felt that exact same way. But if you personally are just feeling like, blah, like I'm just so like over this and not into it, I really find that getting inspired by other teachers is helpful for me to see what they're doing and see what sounds fun. Like, oh, they're talking about a demo. That sounds fun. I know some things though don't sound fun, so I don't do those. I think about every year in the fall, (laughs) there's always all these teachers in the anatomy Facebook groups that are doing the wound lab. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, get on Facebook, get in an anatomy teacher group and search wound lab. And you'll see so many teachers doing it. I love all the people. The pictures that people post, you know, it looks very fun, but it doesn't sound fun to me. And so I never do it. And that's okay. Or I think of March Mammal Madness. A bunch of AP bio teachers do that every year. And I love March Madness, but I always get so overwhelmed just like hearing about March Mammal Madness. Like I don't do March Mammal Madness. It doesn't sound fun to me. So look into these groups, look on TBT, look on the gram, see what inspires you, but only do what actually sounds fun. Because if you're just going to put more things on your plate, that's just going to further make you feel overwhelmed and apathetic towards what you're doing. So do what's fun. And then I would also say too, take the pressure off of grading for yourself and for your students. Like truly just don't grade things for the next week or two. Just don't collect anything and grade it. See what happens. See if that kind of puts a little pep in your step. If you can not grade stuff for the next two weeks and just come home and not have a stack of papers to grade. Like just do it. If you have a project due like tomorrow, just move it back two weeks if you don't want to grade it. You know, and see what happens. I think taking a break from grading is always really, really energizing for me. And also, I think it's good for our students just to be able to do stuff and not have to worry about getting the right answers because we're just there to learn and do it and have fun. And you don't necessarily need to tell them you're not going to collect it. If you feel like they're going to not work at all, if you don't grade it, then don't tell them. You know, you can tell them at the end, I'm not going to collect this one. But I just think taking a break from grading and taking a break from collecting work to grade is just really invigorating. To me, grading's not fun. And so I think if I'm feeling apathetic, I need to do what's fun for a solid two weeks until I feel better. And so I'm going to not grade. So I hope that encourages you with some ideas. And I just also want to encourage you before I let you go, it's okay to not love what you're doing right now as much as you used to. And let's just hope it is just a season. It's okay to find joy in other areas of your life way more than you do in your job. Because remember, This is just a job and it's not your life. So if it's not your favorite thing right now, that's okay. It's okay to have a season of your life where you're just clocking in and you're clocking out and you're doing like the bare minimum. I just want to encourage you and give you permission to do that. It's a hundred percent okay. You don't need to win teacher of the year this year. Okay. So maybe take your A plus effort down to C effort and give yourself a little bit of a breather. And then another thing I would like to say too, and I posted about this question about apathy on my Instagram. And a lot of you said things that I've already said that I was planning on saying, but a couple other things y'all reminded me of that you encouraged was remember why you do this. Just reconnect to your why. Like, why did you choose this career? Why do you wake up every day and come? I know it's for way more than the paycheck because the paycheck is not great. So remember why you do this and see if you can really kind of reignite that part of why you do what you do in that passion to kind of get you motivated again. But I also want to say this, if you feel like this is not a season, if you like feel like this has become very chronic for you, 
then maybe you need to reevaluate some things. Maybe you need to reevaluate, you know, what you're teaching and see if you can talk to admin about teaching some new subjects next year that might kind of inspire you more. Or maybe you need to consider switching schools. Maybe the atmosphere you're in is just not a great one and you need to consider what it would look like to switch schools if that's a privilege that you have. Like, you know, if there's another school you could actually go to and get a job at. And, you know, maybe you do need to consider leaving teaching. I don't want to ever encourage anyone, you know, to do that because we need great teachers. And if you're listening to this podcast, that tells me you're a great teacher because you are trying to grow and become a better teacher. And if you saw this episode, the caption of this episode or the title of this episode and thought, I feel apathetic and I don't want to anymore, like that just shows me you care. So I don't want you to leave. But, you know, there comes a time for us to leave. And I think that's okay too. And so here's what I want to encourage you with. I know a lot of you are feeling in this spot and you're just like, what do I do next? We're going to talk about all of this over the next two months. I literally have six to eight weeks of episodes ahead for you. We're going to talk about how your admin can support you better to kind of re-energize you. We're going to talk about what it is like to work with good admin versus bad admin and how that can help you decide if you may need to change schools. We'll talk about if you're considering switching schools, some things you need to kind of look into when you do your interview process. We'll talk about teaching at a public school versus a private school if you're in one and considering going to the other. And I'm going to bring in some guests to talk to you about transitioning out of teaching. If you're feeling like this is not just a season, you feel like it's been really a chronic issue. And then I'll also bring in another guest that's going to talk about staying in teaching even when you have these drier seasons. So we're going to cover all of this and more over the next two months. And so I hope you'll stick around for those episodes. As always, all of those links I mentioned, there's so many blog posts that I'm kind of pulling from for this content because I've talked about this a lot because this is something I've struggled with too. So if you want to reference any of those blogs, just go to the show notes at itsinrocketscienceclassroom.com slash episode 64. And then also, if you feel like the podcast is helpful, would you mind leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts? First, it's just a really big encouragement to me to keep making these episodes when I read your reviews because I'm like, oh, this is actually helpful. And then second, it also just helps other science teachers find the podcast. And if you have a science teacher friend that you feel like needs to hear the series that's coming up, shoot them this podcast and say, let's listen to this the next couple of weeks together and talk about it and like talk through the season that we're both in that's of apathy and see kind of what our next steps need to be. Or is it truly just a season and we just need to ride this out? I think it'd be really fun to have someone. I'm happy you know, to be here on the other side of the internet of your phone, you know, helping you and guiding you through this process. But I also think it helps to have a real world person holding you accountable who knows you really well and knows your situation that you can kind of kind of talk through some of these hard things with. So I hope that helps. I hope it encourages you and I hope you'll have a great rest of your week. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.